On location in the Holy Land, David Taverner from UCB travels with Bible teacher and church pastor Mike Beaumont to trace the life of Jesus then and now. Any visit to the Holy Land, Mike, takes you to lots of different places around the Sea of Galilee. This is another one, Magdala. What references are there in the Bible to Magdala? <laughs> well, we're going to be hard-pressed to find one, David, because there aren't any. And yet, there is a connection very much with the ministry of Jesus. First of all, because the Gospels often tell us that he went to the nearby villages or every village, and this is just down the coast from Tiberias but also because one of his most faithful supporters came from this place, and the connection is there in her name, Mary Magdalene. Mary, uh -huh. who came from here, this village of Magdala. I see, so she's simply named after the place where she came from, where she grew up or whatever. Absolutely, like Jesus was known sometimes as the Nazarene, Jesus of Nazareth, Mary from Magdala. Looking around at this site, this archaeological site, and the ruins that are still here, which are quite substantial, um, there was obviously quite a substantial place here. Oh, absolutely, David. In fact, you know, this is fantastic. As we're sitting here looking out across uh, all of these buildings and their old foundations, all of this has only just recently been discovered. In fact, it was back in 2009, uh, some entrepreneurs were seeking to build a hotel here on this site. And as the bulldozers moved in, they only got literally a few inches below the ground and suddenly started to keep hitting on archaeological remains. And of course, in Israel, the minute that happens, all work stops. The Ministry of Antiquities is called in, archaeologists come in. And to cut a long story short, they discovered this very extensive site and the hotel had to end up being slightly moved over from where they originally intended it to be, a beautiful modern hotel behind us, oh, right. but not quite on the location where they had planned. So what did they uncover? Well, as you and I look from here, what we can see between us and the Sea of Galilee uh, just beyond is, first of all, the thing that dominates most is a wonderful uh, synagogue, the remains of a synagogue that date back to the time of Jesus in that black basalt stone, that local volcanic stone. It's not huge, so it tells us it wasn't an enormous village, but this would have been the heart of village life where they would have come to read the scrolls of scripture and to study it together. And it's amazing to think that there in the middle, there is a, an old stone on which the scrolls of the Torah would have been unfolded as those scriptures were read. Really quite unique because there's a menorah on them, that seven-branch candlestick. And this is the first time we've found uh, anything in a synagogue with a seven-branch candlestick showing that there wasn't alienation everywhere between synagogue and temple. At the back end, there's a beautiful mosaic that still exists to this day. And just as we were looking now, I was moved to think Jesus's feet stood on that mosaic. Now, this is not, it was near here, or we're not sure whether. We absolutely know this is dated to the first century AD, to the time of Jesus. So his feet stood in this synagogue. And then to the south of the synagogue, as you come out of it, there's a significant uh, marketplace area 
with they've uncovered at least what they think are, are 20 shops and those shops have uh, lots of water installations and wells there again making it pretty clear that this was a fishing village because you would need lots of water to clean the fish and so on uh, all in this black basalt stone again and a beautiful straight street the sort of roman type street that we're used to in many parts of europe cutting right through the middle just a little further beyond there are villas for rich people uh, there are some mikvot the ritual baths there's a whole domestic housing area there's a fisherman's working area, there's a warehouse, there's, there's a wharf, a harbour. In, in fact, that's incredible because as they began to discover that, they discovered that the breakwater is 20 feet wide, that's what, 6 metres, and 230 feet, nearly 70 metres long. And the foundations, again, made of basalt stone. So this, all the archaeological evidence tells us, was a buzzing, thriving um, fishing village. In fact, its its Roman name was Tarikei, uh, and Tarikei means the place of pressed fish. Oh. So fish were taken here, they were pressed, they were salted, they were used not just in the Holy Land, but they were exported far and wide across the Roman Empire. So where are we? we we're in a village that was actually fairly wealthy it's got those mosaics you know mosaics were expensive it's got some expensive homes and villas and that has led some scholars to think that this woman whom we're going to be talking a bit about today mary magdalene she certainly seemed to have quite a bit of money to be able to support jesus's ministry was one of those villas over there hers was she involved in the fishing business and was that where all her money and her wealth came from? It seems incredibly likely. And amazing to think this has been discovered since 2009, as recently as that. And you know what? They're constantly discovering things. In fact, just today, as we were traveling here, we passed quite close to a site that we aren't even allowed to go and visit yet. It's not even on the maps because the archeologists don't want people to know and go and start visiting. It might be another, 10 years or so before uh, we're able to go and see what is a very exciting site. So they are constantly unearthing things here in Israel. And this, for archaeologists and for biblical historians, was one of the most exciting recent discoveries. This place where Mary Magdalene lived and where undoubtedly Jesus often came, taught in this synagogue right alongside us, and ministered among the local fishermen and the local populace. This is getting as close to Jesus almost as we can get. So Mary of Magdala, Mary Magdalene, lived here, worked here, and as you said, she was one of Jesus' supporters, but I suspect probably like the rest of us, she had a backstory. Yes, absolutely. Though it's not the backstory that many people think of immediately, but we'll come to that in a moment. So maybe her backstory, if I just read three verses from Luke chapter 8, it will give us it. It says, after this, Jesus travelled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him. Also, some of the women who'd been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, 
and many others, these women were helping to support them out of their own means. So here's this group of women who are what we're looking at in this episode, his supporters. But Mary Magdalene's backstory, as you asked there, from whom Jesus had cast out seven demons. Now, what were they? How did it happen? When did it happen? We have no idea. I find it fascinating that the New Testament doesn't even bother with that detail. What was is past. You know, and there are some people sometimes who over-obsess these days with demons and names and how many there are. Here in the New Testament, it accepts the reality of demons and the harm that they can do to people, but simply says, oh yeah, she used to have seven demons, but Jesus dealt with it. And that's the end of the story. I think that's wonderful. Is that part of her story represented here on this site in any way? Interestingly enough, it is, because... Uh, just on the other side of the hotel, there's a brand new church that's been built there called the Duckin Altum, cast your net into the deep. And it's absolutely wonderful because the chapel itself, it's, it's sort of pulpit come altar at the front is like a ship with a, with a mast and a sail draped over to it uh, and an, an arched window. So you look out with an infinity pool behind it and it looks like it's floating a fishing on boat. the Sea of Galilee. Absolutely. It's a wonderful place to go. But in some of the smaller chapels all around the edge, um, there are beautiful mosaics from the scenes of the life of Jesus. And one of them is uh, headed in Greek, uh, Mary Magdalene, from whom Jesus cast out seven demons. Uh, and just as you and I were looking at it again now, uh, we spotted a, a thing that I'd not seen before, which is in this beautiful mosaic, there are six nasty black little demonic type figures sort of scurrying away as Jesus commands them to go. And I thought, six, 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 where's the other? And then I noticed this serpent coming from her arm and wrapping itself round the tree. Because, of course, demons represent their master, the great serpent, Satan himself. So recalled there but certainly in the New Testament, recalled but not delighted in, not focused on. Demons are not a thing to focus on. Jesus is the one to be focused on, is its message. Whatever that was, however she was set free, transformed her life. And that's supposed to be the key thing. Yeah, absolutely. This is a transformed woman. It's very easy to dismiss demons and say, well, it was just a primitive psychology. Really, it was... Uh, it was just a way of describing mental illness. But I think if you read the gospel text clearly, it's pretty clear that the New Testament knew when someone was troubled in body or mind and when they were under some sort of control of dark powers, dark forces, that they'd open their lives up to in some way. I've seen that happen still in modern times where people have perhaps dabbled in the occult or been involved in things they shouldn't have been. And unwittingly, perhaps, they've opened a door to a grip of Satan, they've given him an opportunity. The good news is, for anyone who's done that, is calling out in the name of Jesus, can see us set free from that grip, just as Mary Magdalene was. And in a busy fishing village like this, Magdala, that change in her life would have not gone unnoticed. Oh, absolutely. And if what scholars think is true, that Mary Magdalene was sort of quite a leading light in the fishing business here, and what is clear, from that passage we read in Luke chapter 8, is she was a wealthy woman. She's listed along there with the wife of Cusa, 
the manager of Herod's household. Hello, we're talking money here now. So these were women of means who chose, as they became followers of Jesus, to use their means to support his ministry. And so, if it seems likely she was a reasonably wealthy businesswoman here, then for her to start not only giving her money to support Jesus, but as is clear from the Gospels, following Jesus, being one of his disciples, very unusual, of course, for women in those days, it must have made a huge impact in this little village. Maybe the fact that Jesus had this support isn't something we sort of think about very much, you know, but we do wonder how he survived from day to day. But there were these with the financial resources to support his mission. Yeah, it was absolutely uh, crucial to him. You know, Jesus adopted an itinerant lifestyle, an itinerant ministry in which he was dependent on friends. You know, he wasn't pulling a fast one. He wasn't trying to take advantage of people. These were people whose lives have been transformed and who had chosen to support him. And frankly, without them, you know, this ministry probably wouldn't have happened. And it's very easy for us to think of Jesus and the 12 disciples. These were the guys who did it. But I tell you what, they would have not been able to do what they did without this small group of female supporters who were right there doing what in their culture they could do. They wouldn't have been accepted in the culture at that time as being an apostle, being someone who went out with the good news. But it's like they don't sit back and think, oh, well, we can't do that. Rather, they think, all right, what can we do? And they realized that what they could do was use the wealth that God had given them to be active supporters of Jesus and to go around with him as well and to be part of his group. So thank God for Mary Magdalene and these other women who were such incredible supporters of his ministry. Just translate that into our modern age, the importance of supporters or those who can support in financial ways. Yeah, you know, it's still um, very important. Uh, If we are going to make the gospel known to people, if we are going to be a living and vibrant and active church, not just preaching the gospel, but demonstrating that by the things that we do, by having things like cap centers or um, food banks or helping the poor in, in some way, all of these things cost money. And so, do you know what? If God has blessed us with income and with resources, we don't have to be rich like Mary Magdalene was or like uh, Joanna, the wife of Cusa was. Even with what we've got, taking the little that we have and contributing is so important. It's so important, first and foremost, for your local church. I've met so many Christians over the years who've said to me, uh, oh, I don't support my local church. I give to this mission and that mission and this mission and UCB or whatever else it might be. God bless you for that. But what about your local church? This is where you receive spiritual food. This is where you receive support. This is where you encounter Jesus with your brothers and sisters week by week. And that needs to be where your first giving goes. For many people, they follow the practice of tithing, giving a tenth of their income, and resolve that the tithe should go to the church. And then that anything thereafter can then be given as extra giving to other Christian organizations and charities. Now, there's no law set down about that, but I tell you what, it it doesn't seem a bad benchmark to follow. But even if you don't want to give the whole of your giving to your local church, give a significant amount to it. 
because that is where you receive your spiritual food and support from. That's your spiritual home. And putting your money in it is, you know, there's a saying, isn't it? Put your money where your mouth is. And it's no good saying, yeah, I belong to the church, I belong to Jesus, oh yeah, St. Mark's or such and such a Baptist church or such and such a Catholic church is my church, unless you're putting your money where your mouth is and saying, and I'm investing in it in order that that church of which I am a part can do the Christian ministry to which Jesus has called us. That seems to be a key thing in terms of Mary Magdalene's example because I guess she's not giving to Jesus just to make her feel better or just because, you know, she thinks that will make him feel better or something. She's buying into his vision, his mission. Really good way to put it, buying into the vision. And why did she buy in? Well, I think it came out of a heart of gratitude. You know, if you have lived life bogged down by some sort of demonic strongholds, things that you can never get free of. Maybe you've never even identified them or thought of them as demons, but you know there's this thing that just constantly pulls you back and constantly pulls you down. And suddenly she is free from that. Her life is transformed. And therefore her giving to Jesus as a supporter of Jesus comes out of not duty, but out of an overflow of gratitude. And that's still how we need to give today. We give because Jesus has first given to me. Did she just give perhaps when Jesus was around or is there evidence that she continued to support him? Well, uh, that's, a, that's a really good question. And I think the answer is she, she never gave up on him because we find in Matthew's gospel, end of chapter 27, that she's one of those women who was still with Jesus when all the men had fled when all these disciples had run off in fear, she's one of the women who's still there with him as his body hangs on the cross. Now, if that's not commitment to the end, I don't know what is. And that commitment got a reward, by the way, because she was one of the first to witness the risen Jesus on the third day. Look in Matthew 28 and John 20, and you, you'll find there that she's one of the first and is one of those who's told to go and tell the other disciples, which is why in some church traditions, she's sometimes been known as the apostle to the apostles because she was the one who was sent to the ones who were going to be sent. So, no, she was in it for the long haul. But I just need to get my bearings because here we are in Magdala on the Sea of Galilee. She came from this place, but that story that you've just referred to, that's in Jerusalem. Yeah, absolutely. She was one of these women who was ready to follow Jesus wherever he went. Now, was she with him the whole time, like the disciples were? We simply don't know. Or was it a case of that there were seasons when she went with him and his disciples and came back to help run her business or the family business? We, we simply don't know that. But what is clear we do get pictures of her from time to time there with him, supporting him and supporting him to the very end. So this place really is quite special, not least because just literally scratching under the surface has revealed a whole community that people for thousands of years hadn't even noticed. Yeah, and when I said scratching under the surface, if I remember correctly from memory, I think they'd just gone six inches down and they started to find the ruins, these black basalt ruins that we are looking at today. Um, it's incredible. It was right there under our feet. Funny, isn't it? Life's like that sometimes. What you're looking for 
is right there under your feet. Uh, just needs a little bit of digging down to unearth it. But to think that Mary Magdalene was here and Jesus walked these streets, as it were, does that get you excited or is that not really, really important? It does get me excited. Do you know, I've said in a previous episode, you know, do you need to come to the Holy Land to be able to experience Jesus? No, no, you don't. But there is something incredibly moving about coming here and standing where we've just uh, just a few meters away from where we're sitting now and seeing that mosaic floor in that first century synagogue and thinking Jesus stood here. There, there's that stone slab on which the Torah was placed and to think Jesus would as a visiting rabbi have sat here and stood here and taught here and I just find it moving I find it moving it brings home to me yet again that the accounts that we've got in scripture can be trusted you know until these ruins were discovered people had no idea Magdala the biblical Magdala existed um, for some scholars, it was, well, there you go again, another made-up story in the Bible. Well, I've lived long enough now to know, just give it a couple of more years for archaeologists to dig a bit more. And what you say doesn't exist is bound to come out because that's happened again and again and again. And it happens here, authenticating this place and the woman whose home it was. Now, you mentioned the hotel, a modern hotel just to the left of us, quite a... Uh, construction and you mentioned the little church what, what else is there on this site because it seems to be quite a big site as it stretches right down to the uh, water's edge well one of the things that really stands out to me there's a beautiful bronze statue of Mary Magdalene uh, holding bread and offering a piece of bread to Jesus and it's it's in a very simple style very modern style but it really is quite powerful and just sums up who this woman was uh, and the support that she gave to Jesus. One of the other things that is worth mentioning, it, 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 in a sense it, it's not about this place and it's not about Mary Magdalene, uh, but in the Ducking Alton modern chapel that I mentioned to you, down in the basement level of that church is the most beautiful, powerful painting I've ever seen of the woman who reached out to touch the hem of Jesus's garments. and. The artist has painted it at feet level. So the thing that you see are the feet and the toenails and the sandals and just perhaps the bottom foot of their legs. And you see Jesus as the hem of his garment. And through all these sort of what would have been dirty, dusty, smelly feet trampling around, this little hand stretching forth, a woman's hand stretching forth to touch the hem of his garment and at that point where it touches there's almost like a glow because Jesus recognized that power had been released from him it is one of the most moving pictures I've ever seen on the one hand it brings home if you like the earthiness of the life that Jesus lived you know dirty dusty feet dirt under your toenails there's even little images of that in the painting there and yet this woman who dared to reach out to him like Mary Magdalene dared to reach out to him and found that he changed her life. It's fair to say that Mary Magdalene has actually had quite a bad press, hasn't she, really? <laughs> yeah, this poor lady, she's definitely uh, had a bad press due to being identified by some people as the, the sinful woman, the prostitute, 
who anointed Jesus' feet that we read about in Luke chapter 7. But here's the funny thing. There is absolutely no grounds whatsoever for identifying Mary Magdalene as the sinful woman who did that. And actually, that misidentification arose simply by a mistake that Pope Gregory made in 591 AD. Uh, And he was preaching a sermon, and he made a slip, as preachers can do at times, uh, and he ended up conflating Mary Magdalene with this sinful woman. And ever since then, it it led to sort of widespread belief that that Mary Magdalene was a a repentant prostitute or a promiscuous woman. And then out of that, elaborate stories and myths grew, especially in the the Middle Ages in, in Western Europe which exaggerated the backstory and her wealth and her beauty. And uh, thankfully, in, in 1969, Pope Paul VI removed that identification, though it still carries on to this day. Another way she gets bad press is in some modern novels where she's identified as, in effect, being the lover of Jesus, and she was the one who was Jesus's most favoured disciples. She was the one with whom Jesus shared special secrets. Uh, After Jesus' death and resurrection, she went to to Gaul, southern France. And so you've got all these wild stories, the sort of stuff that you get in Dan Brown's novels and other uh, novels like that. And they go right back, actually, to the second century, to what were called Gnostic Christian writings. Gnostic means those who had Uh, secret knowledge or secret mystery. Uh, There were things like the Gospel of Thomas or the Gospel of Philip that the early church very early on rejected and said, no, this is not the authentic Jesus at all. Uh, And so those fables and stories were rejected. But as in many modern novels, you know, why give up a good story? Uh, And so to this day, Mary Magdalene can, can still be spun as, in effect, the lover of Jesus. It's complete, well, if I can use a theological term, tosh. Well, let's go back to the Bible then and remind ourselves of what the Bible says about Mary Magdalene, particularly, as you mentioned earlier, just briefly, when she was in the garden on that first resurrection day and she had this meeting with Jesus. Yeah, well, why don't we read it? Matthew chapter 28 says, After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow and the guards were so afraid that they shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, including Mary Magdalene, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples he's risen from the dead and is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. Now I've told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell the disciples. But suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Wow, what a privilege for this woman who had been so supportive, not just with her money, but with her heart, 
reflected in how she was there at the end as he hung on the cross while others fled. What an incredible privilege this supporter of Jesus received. Someone who wasn't a main headline. She would never write a gospel. She would never be one of the great figures like Peter and Paul who travelled and helped plant churches. But we're still talking about her today, sitting here in Magdala, for the simple reason that she was a faithful supporter in the way that God allowed her to be. And to think that when she first met Jesus here in Magdala, who would have known how things were going to unfold and how her life would end up as it did? And you know what, David? That's always the case for all of us. Who would know what Jesus would do with our life. I grew up as a lad in a poor mining village in South Yorkshire, in a poor family. Who would have thought that one day Jesus would save me and end up taking me to many, many nations of the world to teach about him? And that's just my little story. Who knows what Jesus might do if we just give ourselves to being a faithful supporter? Well, as we're in Magdala, as we're reflecting on the life of Mary Magdalene, one of his supporters, just pray for us now. Lord Jesus, here in this place where one of your most faithful supporters lived and worked, we pray that we too might be faithful supporters, both of you and of your people and of your church. May we not guard what you have given to us to ourselves, but may we be generous in using it so that your gospel can be furthered. And who knows what you might do with us as we do. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Mike Beaumont and David Taverner in the Holy Land, tracing the life of Jesus then and now. Check out the UCB website for the free episode guide with photos, Bible references and background information. Go to ucb.co.uk forward slash Jesus then and now. And you can hear more 30 minute conversations with Mike and David talking about the Bible on the UCB player app. Under podcasts, just select Bible books, Bible biogs, or Bible surprises. Bible surprises.